You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are a few highlights from this week's program. I'm very delighted about this choice. I think that um, you're only as healthy as your least healthiest person. And it starts with good education at an early age. And not only are we helping the, the children, we're trying to help the parents realize what their children can be with positive steps and positive nutrition and good physical activity. That's a pretty big program that involves not only just recycling bottles, we compost, recycle cardboard, we um, shuttle people, bike valet, you know, it's, it's, it's a much larger program than just picking up plastic bottles. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 305, Maine's TD Beached Beacon, airing for the first time on Sunday, July 23rd, 2017. This year, on August 5th, will be the 20th running of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K Road Race in Cape Elizabeth. This event attracts elite runners from around the globe, as well as recreational runners from across the country. Today, we speak with race founder Joan Benoit Samuelson, winner of the first women's Olympic marathon in 1984. We also speak with volunteer coordinator Maya Cohen and her husband, Dr. Mylan Cohen, who cares for race participants, when necessary, in the medical tent. Thank you for joining us. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. It is my great pleasure to have with me today Joan Benoit Samuelson, who founded the TD Beach to Beacon 10K Road Race to benefit children's charities in Maine. This year on August 5th, the TD Beach to Beacon 10K Road Race will celebrate its 20th anniversary. Thanks for coming in today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You grew up in Cape Elizabeth, and that's now where this race is being held. How much running did you do in Cape Elizabeth when you were there? I did enough running in Cape Elizabeth for the Department of Public Works to give me a little bit of a hard time, just in jest, but uh, I put in a lot of miles in Cape Elizabeth and I always thought they were some of the most beautiful roads in the world and dreamed of bringing a road race to my favorite roads in my hometown of Cape Elizabeth and that was really the impetus for the founding of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K. And it is. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful point-to-point race. I mean, you've got beaches. You've got the lighthouse. I mean, there's. I really can't think of another race in Maine that has quite the scenery that you have. Well, actually, when I was thinking about the race that might be someday, I was thinking about the uh, Examiner Beta Breakers out in San Francisco, and I thought, well, why don't we have an East Coast version of that race? Now we're on a much smaller scale, granted, but um, I like the B2B sort of sound, and so I thought, where can we develop a course that would include the beaches and Portland Headlight? And it became the Beach to Beacon, and it runs from just outside the gates at Crescent Beach to Portland Headlight, so Beach to Beacon. 
What size of a race were you hoping initially that you would have? I had no idea. I really didn't. I just wanted to give back to a sport and a community that had given so much to me. And when I came into the tunnel in L.A. in 1984, I said, are you prepared to carry the mantle that will come with a win in the first women's Olympic marathon? And I only had a few seconds to think about it. And I said, well, there's no sense in not trying. And uh, so I came through into the light of the Coliseum, and that was really the moment when I thought, now how am I going to give back? And as I said, I trained on some of the most beautiful roads in the, in the world, and I wanted to benefit children. I knew that because I believe children are our most valuable resource. And uh, did a lot of thinking and a lot of talking with people, and it finally came to fruition with the handshake of Bill Ryan, who was then president of People's Heritage Bank, which is now TD. And um, that's how it all began. And I really had no idea what we would start with and where we would go. And the event has um, transcended the sport in, in many ways. Um, we have a great board, we have a great organizing committee, we have amazing volunteers and sponsors, and we have the best in road race directing, and David McGillivray, who also directs the Boston Marathon. This year you're, um, you're benefiting Let's Go here in the state of Maine. Right. And I've been actively involved with the leadership committee of Let's Go. Um, it's um, a, a organization that um, benefits different children in the state with sound nutritional advice and physical activity programs. And Maine Health has long been a sponsor of the Beach to Beacon, and it made sense to give back to uh, an organization that really benefits um, the children, children of Maine. Um, there are many food deserts in, in this state, and there are many uh, communities that are lacking sound physical activity programs because of the school budget cuts. So I'm very delighted about this choice. I think that um, you're only as healthy as your least healthiest person, and it starts with good education at an early age. And not only are we helping the, the children, we're trying to help the parents realize what their children can be with positive steps and positive nutrition and good physical activity. This is an interesting program because, um, as you said, Maine Health is the um, kind of the lead on the Let's Go program, and they're a healthcare organization. So we don't always see healthcare organizations that are s um, so actively involved in public health initiatives like this. Well, one of my missions, and perhaps my biggest mission in life, is to bring awareness to the fact that conservation is to the environment excuse me, to the environment, what prevention is to health. And really the two are inextricably linked. And this is one of the ways the TD Beach to Beacon has transcended the sport of running. Um, for instance, this year, um, the students at Mecca worked to design a poster that will commemorate the 20th running of the Beach to Beacon. So um, we try to incorporate um, the entire Maine community in this one event, and we draw from every county in the state and just about from every state and numerous countries. It's a destination race for many of our, our runners. Um, when they think of Maine and where they might run, TD Beach to Beacon 10K comes right to the forefront of their radar screens. 
We've actually written about you before um, from a conservation standpoint. You have uh, a large garden. You're actively involved in, I believe, Friends of Casco Bay. You do yardscaping. You're, you're very good about um, trying to create wellness in the land on which you live. How does this uh, tie into the running piece? Well, although I've left over 150,000 miles of footprint, I try to leave as small a carbon footprint as, as possible. And I'm out there every day. I'm really a human barometer for, for climate change. And I, I see these little changes that keep adding up. And, you know, Maine is a beautiful place. It's where I have my roots and it's where I choose to live my life. So anything I can do to promote health in any aspect throughout our state is something that I'm happy to do. Given that you grew up in Cape Elizabeth and you went to Bowdoin, you've spent a lot of time here. What have you noticed um, as you've been out running and talking with people and living your own life? What have you noticed that has changed? I think uh, erosion on the coast is one thing. I think the acidification of Casco Bay is another thing that I'm very concerned about. Um, you know, eutrophication and, and ponds and, and uh, lakes and, and, and such, um, the green algae blooms, uh, the changes in weather, the drastic changes in, in weather that occur almost without notice, um, and just the air we breathe and the food we eat. In planning the Beach to Beacon uh, 10K, what types of steps are taken in order to ensure that the footprint of this race, which has lots of runners, is going to be ecologically as small as possible? Well, one thing that we're very proud of is our certification from the Council for Responsible Sport, which is a um, organization that um, ranks road races and other sporting events based on their commitment to environmental issues and social issues and just recently we received the highest level of achievement which is evergreen status so we're the only road race currently to have that status in the country and there's a 15k I believe in the United Kingdom that also shares that status so we've worked very hard with Athletes for a Fit Planet and Bruce Rayner to achieve this status and it's you know, it should be, in this state, it should be that we do everything that we can to leave as small a carbon footprint and have as healthy an event as we can, not only for the participants, but the organizations in our community that benefit from um, socially responsible and environmentally responsible efforts. So if, if one is racing in the uh, TD Bank 10K, Beach to Beacon 10K, what types of things will one see? Well, you won't see a plastic bag to take you through the expo to pick up all the little things that some of our vendors and uh, sponsors may uh, want to share with, with the runners and their families. Um, you won't see a lot of unnecessary plastic water bottles. You'll see bigger containers. Um, you'll see tables set up at every place where it's possible to dispose of either compostable items or plastic items. Or, or trash and we used to just use the, the bins but we found that if we had the sorter if you will um, right there at those places strategic places um, they'll sort quickly through what's compostable what's not what's trash what can be recycled and that's worked very well 
for us. So there are myriad way of ways in which we can reduce the carbon footprint, and we're all on it. Even when it comes to the serving items at our um, lobster bake and at our volunteer event, uh, the volunteer event takes place on Wednesday night before the race, and the lobster bake uh, is basically a celebration for our invited athletes, our sponsors, our host families, and other people who have really contributed in many good ways to the success of the event. When you won your Olympic medal, um, this was the this was you were the first. You were the first female to win an Olympic marathon. And I think that the sport has really come a long way. Women in running, it's almost a, it's almost a given now. But it wasn't always that way. No, I recently, just this past weekend, as a matter of fact, ran a race in Washington, D.C. It was the 45th anniversary of the uh, Cherry Blossom 10-mile race. And 60% um, of the participants were women and 40% were men. And actually, Catherine Switzer, the f woman who was jostled um, in the Boston Marathon um, in the infamous incident with she and Jock Semple, um, she was there t because she won the, was the first woman to win the Cherry Blossom 10-miler, and we had an opportunity to talk about where our sport has come. And, and Catherine was very influential in um, getting the marathon to the point that it was accepted by the IOC for the Olympics. Um, she uh, worked with Avon back then to uh, sponsor races around the world to bring awareness to the fact that yes, women could run 26.2 bodies, and, uh, excuse me, 26.2 miles without doing detriment to their, their bodies. I mean, when I was in high school, it was thought by the so-called experts in the sport that if a woman ran over a mile, she'd do bodily harm and never bear children. Well, two children and over 150,000 miles, I'm still at it, enjoying it as much as I did when I first started out as a young teenager who was really embarrassed to be seen out running on the roads. So, so how do you get past that? How do you, if you are a teenager and somebody's telling you you're gonna hurt yourself, don't go out running any longer than a mile, then how do you, how do you push through that? Well, I always tell people to run their own race in life, and that's really applicable to anything one sets out to achieve. You can't run anybody else's race but your own. And I took a lot of grief by the commentators, unbeknownst to me at the time I was running, that I had made a grave error in not taking water at the first water station. Um, but I knew I had to find my own space and run my own pace and run my own race in order to run as efficiently and as well as I possibly could. So um, that's what I did and, and that's what I do. And um, you know, I was trying to shed a tomboy image at that time. I grew up with three brothers and I lived in a, in a neighborhood full of boys and I was really not wanting to be seen by the public out on the road. So most of my running was done within the confines of Fort Williams because at the time they didn't allow any vehicular traffic in there. So I would walk from our home to the fort, run to my heart's content and then walk home. And then one day I was walking home and I saw a woman who I knew uh, who was running on the road. She was actually the coxswain for the Princeton 8. And I said, you know, if she can get out there and run, so can I. And I never looked back after that time. 
So we all inspire each other. It's a two-way road out there. Everybody has a story to share, and um, I just encourage people to get out there and tell their own story. And as a matter of fact, it's great to see the elite athletes come across the, the finish line, you know, all attempting to run personal bests or improve the course record, but it's really the runners at the back of the pack who never thought they could cover the distance or do anything like this. And to see them come across the finish line achieving something that just really makes them feel so good and gives them self-esteem to power forward is something that's a reward that I never expected. This race is so popular that people literally sit online and wait with their fingers on the mouse or the keypads to, to be one of the first to register. And, and you have to cap it because there's only so many people that you can actually have run. Why do you think that this is so? After 20 years, there are other races that are out there that aren't as popular as this one. Well, I really think we have the best race committee, the best race director, people who are passionate and committed to the sport, selfless people. Um, and, and, you know, as I said earlier, our volunteer force is just incredible, as are our sponsors. And I really think our greening effort has helped with our sponsorship because everybody wants to be some part of something that's positive. So to say that any one person or any one organization or any one sponsor is uh, solely responsible for the successes of the event would be very wrong. Um, it's a collective effort, it's a happy effort, it's a positive effort, and in this day and age we need something positive to grab onto and, and run with, literally and figuratively. I've been surprised in my lifetime and I'm getting up there in years, so maybe it's that's a long life. You're talking to the wrong person. Okay, all right. But I've been surprised to see running really increase in popularity, recreational running. Well, also at the college um, level and professional level as well. But, I mean, the races that I used to run in where there would be like a couple dozen of us here in Maine in the middle of the winter, you know, they're, they, they are full. And people are doing triathlons. People are, I mean, it we have the pub run here in Portland. I mean, there's just lots of different ways to run. And that, in some ways, that kind of surprises me because this is Maine and it's not always easy to run in this state. What's your take on that? Well, I think um, running is affordable and it's accessible. And with all the messaging out there about taking control of your own health and wellness, running is really the first thing people can grasp on to as far as getting themselves out the door and getting themselves into a routine. You don't need a lot of special equipment. You don't have to travel to a, a facility. Most people can run right outside their front or back doors or workplaces. And, you know, I encourage people who want to get in the game to find a partner to run with because um, if you're expected to meet somebody in the early morning hours or after work, it's a lot easier knowing that somebody's waiting for you out there. And it's harder to say, oh, I'll just bag it for the day or I'll do something else. And I think one mile leads to the next. I think people start to realize how much better they feel by doing some sort of physical activity. And for a lot of people, it's walking or, or, or jogging or, or running. And um, then when people decide that they want to test their fitness or join something positive, uh, the Beach to Beacon is there to support those people and the elite athletes and you know every year we have 
the most competitive race amongst the main main runners and we have some of the best runners in the world here in the state of Maine. I mean Ben True won the race. He was the first American to win the race last year and he's homegrown and um, I was just thrilled to, to see that happen and uh, the main component of the race is always highly competitive and there are a lot of bragging rights associated with the victories and, and that component of the race. You've had to run through some injuries yourself. I mean, anybody who runs over a lifetime is, of course, going to have injuries, and any woman could potentially even be pregnant and run through those phases. How, how do you keep, um, I don't know, focused on the after injury? Well, I've been blessed with very few injuries, and I think the reason for that is because I really believe in living a balanced and healthy life and in athletics we talk about the mind-body-spirit triad and I just try to keep those components of my life as balanced as, as possible. I do a little more cross-training now that I'm aging than I did when I was younger and that helps with balance. I think a balanced diet helps. Um, there are lots of things that go into the equation to balance one's life and I think people need to make choices and prioritize what's important to them, what's going to make them feel better, act better, and contribute in a healthy way by inspiring other people to take notice of an improved life and running as a vehicle in which to do that. Food, as you've mentioned, is, is very important to you. I know that you, you grow your own, you, you make a lot of the food that you um, eat. And I and this has become more in the forefront of people's minds at this point, but it hasn't always been the case. We definitely went through our sort of processed food Betty Crocker phase as Americans. What are you seeing in, I guess, younger people today as far as food choices? Well, I tell people I'm on a strict seafood diet. I see food and eat it, and I eat what I crave, and you are what you eat, we often say in our sport. Um, certainly the local food movement. I think more people are embracing that movement, supporting our local farmers and growers. And um, I think that's important to a healthy community, um, not just the, the diet, but supporting those who are trying to make a community cohesive and improving that community as we contribute to the efforts of others. And, uh, you know, I love to garden. It grounds me. You know, I love to feel the good earth, and if you will, and um, going to the garden is something that really helps to balance me and calm my nerves. I mean, I've been known to go out with a headlight returning from a trip late at night just to see what's grown while I've been away, and um, you know, it's part of who I am, just like my running is. And. I try to balance all of that with other interests as well. And I I talk about balance all the time. It's just, just so important. And we've tried to balance the success of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K by reaching other out to others in our community as uh, people reach out to us. After 20 years of doing this, I'm guessing that you've probably learned a thing or two about putting on a road race, specifically this road race. What, what are some thoughts that you have? Uh, just the importance of collaboration and listening to others and uh, having great leadership and having committed people, um, people who are passionate about what they're doing. Mike Stone, for instance, our current president, 
came to the race because he was working at People's Heritage Bank at the time, and he didn't have a clue about running, but his his business was the title sponsor of the event, and he wanted to be part of it. And as being part of the race, he decided he should start running, and he started running. And he runs just about every day, and he's run a marathon, and, and that's really, to me, a success story. I mean, not only are we been a benefiting a different children's charity, but we're pulling people off the sidelines to embrace their health and well-being by participating in the race. They see these great runners and these beginning runners and these mediocre runners and these runners of every description pass in front of them as they cheer them on and they say, well, maybe I could do that. And then they challenge themselves to get out there and do it. And I think everybody who has run this race has a story that will motivate and inspire others. What would you like to see happen in the next 20 years? <laughs> oh boy, uh, I, I just want to see a healthy Maine community and people who find passion in whatever it is they choose to, to do with their lives. Um, we all have the ability to contribute in one way or another and I think people just have to realize that and find out whatever it is that floats their boat and get in it and start paddling. Very well said. Well, along with uh, several members of our staff from Maine Magazine, we will be out there running the TD Beach to Beacon 10K coming up here on August 5th in Cape Elizabeth, 20th anniversary. It's really been my pleasure to have a conversation with Joan Benoit Samuelson, the founder of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K Road Race, and also, of course, the winner of the first women's Olympic marathon in Los Angeles in 1984, and also a fellow Bowdoin grad, so go you bears. Thanks for coming in today, and thanks so much for all you've done for Maine and for runners in our state and around the world. Well, thank you, Dr. Lisa. It's my pleasure and honor, and uh, we're just delighted to have Maine Magazine involved this year, and I think it'll be a great partnership going forward. Love Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Tickets for Maine Live are available now. Maine Live is a day of inspiring talks and stories of grit by the business and creative people shaping the future of our state. Join host Dr. Lisa Belisle and 14 mesmerizing speakers that will inspire conversation and connection. This fifth Maine Live is on Thursday, September 21st at USM's Hannaford Hall. Go to mainelivesepember2017.splashthat.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. My next guests are actually a duo, both in life and in the job that they are doing as volunteers for the TD Beach to Beacon 10K. This is Maya Cohen, who is the volunteer coordinator of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K, and her husband, Dr. Mylan Cohen, who is the co-medical director of the race. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks Yay. for having us. Now, I've actually spoken with both of you before on multiple occasions, so it's nice to have friends back in the studio to uh, have a conversation about something that I love, running. You've both been involved in this race for almost two decades now. How did you get involved? <laughs> well, you put it that way. That's a long time, it actually. Long time. Yeah. Uh, so the first, the inaugural race, uh, we were actually moving into our home 
in Cape Elizabeth, and our home actually happens to be right next to Fort Williams. So the year that we moved in, we couldn't understand why our moving truck wasn't making it to the house. Uh, and so while we were waiting for our furniture, there was a lot of noise going on in the park next to us. And a, a woman walks up the driveway with a sun hat on and wanted to know if she could take a look into the house. And I said, sure, I guess. She says, I want to see my, my childhood bedroom. I'm, I'm, Joni, I'm Joan Benoit. I'm Joni's aunt. And I said, oh, all right. So she came and she looked at her childhood bedroom and reminisced. And she says, well, before people realize that I'm gone, I should probably get going. And that was that. That was our introduction to the race. <laughs> we eventually did get our furniture. <laughs> we eventually and later on that afternoon, Joni uh, Benoit Samuelson is walking around and reminiscing about cleaning out the bird bath and whatnot. And the next thing you know, we're invited to be uh, host, host family for runners. And uh, shortly after that, Maya became the volunteer coordinator. I was uh, volunteering in the medical tent. And uh, here we are. Here we are, and we're both on the board now. So we're fully involved with the race. Are either one of you runners? No. <laughs> Once upon a time I ran a little bit, but uh, no, I'm more a bike, I'm a bicyclist. I've, I've tried running in the past. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm a not a natural runner. I can do a lot of other things. Running is just not one of them. So we enjoy supporting those who love Yes, we do. Well, that I guess is my question. So if you're not runners, it's not about the race per se. It's not about the competition as much. It's about something else. Yeah. Uh, so I fully appreciate the athleticism in, that's involved and the uh, commitment to training for running. Um, and I admire that. But as far as um, being involved with the race, it's really a being involved in a community event. I think it's about giving back to the community. And giving back to the community and being involved with the community. And it is a feel-good event. I mean, everyone, it's, they enjoy volunteering. It is, in some ways, like a big family reunion, really. And it's an incredible team. I mean, it's yeah. an amazing team that puts on this race. Uh, it's the same uh, support staff that uh, puts on the Boston Marathon as well. Uh, so you have, you know, top in the world uh, people uh, putting on this race. And uh, for me, in a way, it's kind of in the genes. My grandfather was a physician for the Boston Marathon. Uh, we've since become involved with the Boston Marathon. Uh, but I do think it's, uh, you know, the race benefits uh, children's uh, charities across the state of Maine every year. And uh, so through that charitable part of the race, we feel like we're not only helping the people who are running the race, but we're also giving to the state of Maine by supporting a race that gives, that contribu contributes to uh, worthwhile charities. Maya, why is it that, um, well, I guess this is a silly question. I was going to ask, why are volunteers so important? But what are the different jobs that volunteers are needed for at this race? Oh, it's not a silly question. People, uh, volunteers are essential to actually having a race like this function safely um, and efficiently. So if you were to say, we're going to have 6,000 runners come to Cape Elizabeth and we're going to start at eight o'clock in the morning and you have no volunteers at all, um, <clears throat> you would be hard pressed to have 
any kind of success, I think. Um, and so the kinds of jobs that volunteers do, uh, they range from helping in packet pickup for the runners, uh, manning water stations, handing out t-shirts, driving buses, um, help, you know, manage crowds on race day, um, handing out food, preparing uh, the runner's food tent. We have an outstanding uh, medical team that uh, keeps runners safe. So we have a number of, of programs that uh, people volunteer for and really they are essential to making sure that people get from point A to point B. People get to, you know, safely cross the finish line and uh, we clean the place up pretty darn quick. <laughs> yeah, by noon you'd never know there was an event that involves 6,000 runners and, you know, 2,000 spectators. Or more, yeah. Mm -hmm. How many volunteers does it take? So we run about 800 to 840 volunteers every year. Um, it fluctuates, obviously, you know, depending on the year, but that's about, a sweet spot for us is about 800. And do you ever have any difficulty getting that number of volunteers? Some years we do, but uh, we haven't, we have never, we usually manage to get our volunteers by race day, really. Um, we have some areas that have been typically difficult to recruit for, but if we don't have enough people, we have volunteers to say, I can help out when I'm done with this particular job. So everyone is rolling their sleeves up to get the job done. Which are the jobs that people don't like? So the, I call them, uh, they are the, not as sexy as other jobs. Uh, so things like sustainability, our sustainability program, um, also known as recycling, but the sustainability program has been a uh, program that has grown over the years and we and our goal is to reduce our carbon footprint and last year was a major push to be one of a few races to achieve um, what we call evergreen status um, for the from the council for um, responsible sport that's a pretty big program that involves not only just recycling bottles we compost recycle cardboard we um, shuttle people bike valet you know it's 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 a much larger program than just picking up plastic bottles it's also a social it also has a social aspect and it also has a social uh, responsibility aspect to it um, in the other area is our parking and shuttle program we have a pretty extensive shuttle bus program that we are able to take runners or spectators from different satellite parking areas and get them to the starting line or getting them to Fort Williams. And <clears throat> it takes a lot of people to kind of get people in the right bus, get them in the right location. Um, and that is, uh, and th that takes, that takes a lot of people as well. And they're actually, in, in some cases they are, these volunteers who run, uh, who work in those programs are in a way like the first face that people see for the race in the morning. So they're also our ambassadors. It is interesting because this is this is a point-to-point -point race versus an out-and-back. So Correct. the challenges of parking um, or transportation are going to be bigger than if you just ran one continuous loop. That's correct. That's right. We've, yeah. we've entertained over the years having it uh, be a loop, but uh, to be able to 
start at Crescent Beach and end at the iconic Portland headlight is just hard to beat. And uh, in order to continue to have that kind of amazing route, we've decided to continue doing the route that we have been. Mylan, you have a master's in public health from Harvard, and you are currently a practicing cardiologist at the Maine Medical Center. So for you, there are some bigger things that must be very interesting about this race as well. Well, first of all, any event like this is really uh, potentially a planned mass casualty event. Uh, that's what my colleagues in the emergency medicine <laughs> field would call it. Uh, and so it does take a lot of planning, and you do have to kind of uh, put on a public health uh, hat, uh, work very closely with um, the professionals in the fire department and the police department, uh, town officials in order to make sure that uh, things are as safe as possible not only for the runners but also for spectators and volunteers. Uh, we're also now uh, getting more into uh, looking at the uh, processes that we use to treat runners and we're looking more at uh, potentially even doing some research so we can learn from these processes and help other races. In fact, uh, a lot of the things that we learned about taking care of overheated runners at the Beach of the Beacon has th those those things that we've learned have have been transitioned into use at the Boston Marathon, and have saved lives there. Well, give me some examples of that. So, if we have a runner who overheats uh, and has a core temperature uh, that may be life-threatening at 109. We take that runner and we uh, put that runner in a, uh, basically a tub of ice water and cool them down as quickly as possible. They're actually going to do a lot better having that happen in the field in our medical tent than being transported to the hospital. And so those uh, people in our community who might uh, subscribe to the Boston Globe or follow the Boston Marathon last year, there was this amazing photograph on the front page of the Globe of a runner being uh, carried across the finish line. He had collapsed like 200 feet from the finish line and uh, we treated him and he had a core temperature of 109. Now, I'm not violating any patient confidentiality here. He gave a full interview and, account and, and recounted all of this uh, to the Boston Globe. Um, but what's really amazing is that uh, he uh, came back this year to the Boston Marathon medical team and spoke in front of uh, an audience of nearly a thousand people thanking them for what we had done for him and uh, just recounting what it was like uh, to uh, be carried across the finish line, get cooled, and then uh, to recover in the hospital after that. So I think that uh, the processes that they used at the Boston Marathon weren't always the same, and uh, that's where our knowledge here at the Beach to Beacon really has uh, helped another race. There's a broad uh, range of wellness that people who uh, decide to enter the TD Beach to Beacon 10K have. Some people are, maybe they run only once or twice in the weeks before the race, and some people are high-level athletes. So I would imagine that there's a range of issues that you're dealing with having to do with people's kind of innate health. Yeah, their, fit, their innate health and their fitness. 
Uh, you're exactly right. There are some people who get out there and say, well, it's just, you know, it's just 10K. I can do this. I don't really need to train for it. Which or is 6.2 miles. That's right. <laughs> just for people who <laughs> don't, right. aren't thinking in metrics. But that's yes. right. And so I think uh, from a public health perspective, I would say you absolutely do have to prepare for this. Uh, depending on what the temperature is that day, you do have to hydrate. Um, unlike a marathon, uh, electrolyte problems aren't generally the problem, it's more heat. And uh, so you want to dress appropriately as well. Uh, I'm amazed how many people come across with uh, wearing black, you know, they look very, they look very chic. Uh, black running uh, long pants, black tops that cover their uh, uh, arms in a, in a black hat. Meanwhile, uh, it's getting to be a pretty warm day with the sun beating down, and I can just pick out those people that we're going to be treating for uh, heat stroke. So I think training, uh, being well hydrated, uh, running within your ability, uh, dressing appropriately, those are, and listening to your body, uh, those are all things that people can do to help themselves have a really enjoyable day out there on the race course and stay out of the medical tent. Now, we've been talking about weather as it relates to the people who are running the race, but I'm guessing that there is also an impact on the volunteers, Maya. No, there is. Um, I always remind uh, our volunteers um, during race week that they need to prepare for race day as well. And, you know, we work rain or shine, so I always tell them that. But also, I also tell them that they also need to dress appropriately they need to wear, you know, appropriate shoes. I mean, not necessarily sneakers, but something you can be in all day. But they need to hydrate. They need to take care of themselves because if you if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And so, uh, I really make it a point that you know you need to take care of yourself before race day. Um, and also, I also tell people that when you're working with other volunteers and you see someone struggling or you see someone who's tired or you see someone who's not well, you need to take care of your fellow volunteer as well. When I think about 800 volunteers in the days immediately before and immediately after, that's a lot of people to coordinate. How does that work for you logistically? So I am very uh, lucky to work with an incredible organizing committee. And that organizing committee has uh, different coordinators for different areas and so um, we'll have a person who coordinates just the water program and that individual is in charge of that program and we'll communicate with each other about different difficulties in recruitment or um, you know staffing shortfalls in that program. The Beach to Beacon is very, very fortunate in having an organizing committee that has a group of coordinators that has had exceptionally low turnover. People that I work with today, I worked with when I first started this job 16 years ago. So there's a lot of institutional knowledge, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of fun, a lot of they're like another family too. So so I'm very fortunate to work with a group like that. It makes my job infinitely easier but also a lot of fun. The fact that you've both been working on this together for this amount of time, and you've been married for this amount of time, and, and you share <laughs> you share a son who is just a little bit 
older than the amount of time you've been working on this race, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. isn't that kind of, that's interesting that you have to be able to figure out how to navigate your different roles that each of you are taking within mm-hmm. the relationship. So how has that worked out for you? It works pretty well. It actually works really I just, well. I, I know that as volunteer coordinator, she's my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and it works out just fine. It works out just fine. Uh, we we don't we've been doing it for so long even with our you know with our son it's it's kind of this is what we do as a family yeah, he's volunteered as well he's volunteered he's our son is 20 now he knows that august it's beach to beacon and you might as well have a like a hallmark card made <laughs> for for us uh, and it's gotten to the point where when it gets close to race day i receive emails cards from friends family other past volunteers saying good luck have a good time you, you know strong work that kind of stuff so um it is it's worked out pretty well i mean this is just kind of what we do together now that he's 20 and he's finishing up his junior year mm-hmm. in college and so obviously he's out of the house and and now the two of you get to have this different life than you had before i know that you you do a lot of um, sailing and motorbiking, motorcycling, <laughs> yes. Yes. and you're out in the world. Does this change the way that you think about the Beach to Beacon? That's an interesting question. I, uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's still something that grounds us in the community mm-hmm. every August. Uh, we're not going to miss it. We're going to be there. Uh, this is just what we do at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of interesting going out uh, into other communities. I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I'll be present at another race. We just happen to, upon another race, or our, you know, I've been in New York for the New York Marathon, for example, and you just kind of watch it and you go, hmm, you know, you pick up little things. Uh, you think about <coughs> things that you can bring here home to make our race even better. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that Maya said it, it's just really become something that our family does. And even though our son uh, is away from home right now, if he were to drop in, uh, he knows what he'd probably be doing (laughs) if he were here on the first weekend in August each year. Right. I'm interested in, and this is a little bit more of a serious topic, obviously, but given the tragedies that occurred at the Boston Marathon Mm -hmm. several years ago, I'm interested in how as volunteers for that marathon, how that changed your perception of the safety of big races like the Mm. TV Beach to Beacon? Well, I I think we're very fortunate to have uh, an an incredible public safety department at Cape Elizabeth. Uh, uh, Chief Neil Neil Williams uh, is uh, just an amazing individual, Uh, really uh, great depth of experience, obviously (coughs) huge connections in the law enforcement world. And uh, uh, between uh, the chief and also the chief of the fire department, uh, they have a vast experience and um, do a great job in preparedness. I would say that uh, you know in the year fo- in the in the race following the Boston Marathon, you know security was stepped up uh, exponentially. Uh, we still take security extremely seriously. Um, I think it's safe to say that it is 
something that's kind of in the back of our minds, right. but it hasn't taken over our lives. No, no. And uh, I think I'm confident, I feel confident in our public safety people uh, to make sure that the race uh, stays safe and secure and that uh, not only runners but spectators and volunteers uh, can just attend to their duties and not worry about other things that are happening in the world or could happen. I think that also um, the year following uh, Boston, it, as Mylan had mentioned, it was a year that you know security was stepped up and the unfortunate, uh, there are many unfortunate things we can talk about, but one thing that I think is unfortunate in particular is that it that event changed the face of all races it changed how we function the year f the that year when we had the beach to beacon I think that one of the things that um, for me was important was to get to work get to work and to also demonstrate to our volunteers that you know we're going to still do a world-class race we're going to do it well and we'll be safe about doing it yeah, I and agree. I think, and 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 that I think, for me, this I think that gave our volunteers some sense of okay, let's just go do this. We're going to be okay. Yeah. Every year since, uh, both uh, down at Boston, but also up here, I think has been an affirmation of what is good about people. Yeah. About uh, what's good about uh, volunteers. It's an affirmation of really positive things that happen in our communities, uh, the positive impact that we can have through putting on an event like this mm -hmm. and benefiting various charities. So that's what we focus on, is the, the positive. Maya, you already um, introduced the idea of the, um, the Evergreen certification. Oh, yeah. Do you see other things changing um, in the next 20 years of this race? Well, uh, <laughs> I think that, <clears throat> so when we started this race, you know, we thought it was the right thing to just recycle, just recycle bottles. And then, um, you know, we were, what, 20, 20 years ago, we were completely paper-based when it came to applications. And here we now fast forward to now, where we compost and recycle, we do everything online. I think in the next 20 years, you know, um, who knows where technology will take us, uh, but I do think that the one thing that is really important to this race is its impact on the community, its impact on the environment. And I see, you know, every year we make small improvements. And so, you know, in 20 years, who knows what, you know, we will, what we'll bring, but I can assure you that it will be an improvement every single year. And what about from a medical standpoint? Anything that you're seeing changing? There are a lot of possibilities. Um, just from uh, better communication technology. Uh, the Fort, Fort Williams is a tough place uh, when it comes to communications. Uh, we just want a cell tower <laughs> that we can <laughs> reliably get cell service. But no, seriously, uh, we do have uh, new ways of uh, communicating wirelessly there. Um, we're talking about new ways of handling electronic records of runners, uh, better ways to communicate with emergency services and to the hospitals uh, uh, if we have to transport someone. 
Um, we're constantly looking for uh, better ways to treat people inside the medical tent. And just like medical technology in your physician's office or at the hospital, you know, we're benefiting from medical advances every day. Um, it, I, I do think, though, sometimes uh, what's old is new and, uh, you know, as uh, funny as it might sound to some of your listeners, dunking in a hot runner in ice water still is the mainstay of how we treat uh, the majority of the people who come in the medical tent. That probably won't change. But beyond that, uh, probably some improvements in communication will be uh, where we make advances. Well, I will be joining you this year as part of the Maine Magazine um, running team. Excellent. And you will see us all with our T-shirts. We're very excited to be doing this. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we will not need your services, uh, Mylan. Obviously, <laughs> Stop we're gonna... by and say hello. Yeah, that's, all. That's, that's good. <laughs> uh, Maya, I'm certain we're going to need your services, the services yes. of your team. Yeah. So I appreciate not only the work that uh, you've been doing for really the last, I guess, 16 years mm. officially, um, plus. Um, <laughs> and I also appreciate your taking the time to come in and talk to us today. It's a very uh, complex uh, set of logistics that you're working with, and um, you are doing a great job to, to pull it all off. Well, thank you for well, having us. Thank you us. very much for having us. It was us. fun. Great to be here. I've been speaking with Maya Cohen, who is the volunteer coordinator of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K, and her husband, Dr. Mylan Cohen, the co-medical director of the race. And we will see you in August. See, you, See you then. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 305, Maine's TD Beach to Beacon. Our guests have included Joan Benoit Samuelson, Dr. Myland, and Maya Cohen. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see our Love Maine Radio photos on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Maine's TD Beach to Beacon show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com. Here's a track from Spencer Albee's new album, Relentlessly Yours, in stores and online now at spenceralbee.com.